So that would be a more important target for the government. Okay, Sonobi-san. Well, thank you very much. It's good to hear your perspective on that. That's Tetsushi Sonobi, who is the Dean and CEO at the Asian Development Bank Institute. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. In Australia, the SX200 is flat. Over in Japan, the Nikkei 225 is down about a quarter of a percent. Looks like maybe the Hang Seng uh, is going to rise about uh, 70 or 80 points at the open. Over in South Korea, the Cosby is up about a quarter of a percent. And in the commodities markets... Brent crude oil a little bit firmer at $73.36 a barrel. Gold is trading at $1,812 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please stay tuned for Back Chats with Jim Gould and Ada Wong in just a moment. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy and occasional showers. There's also going to be thunderstorms and squalls. Maximum temperature around 31 degrees. And then it's going to be windier with occasional showers on Wednesday and Thursday. The standby signal number one is in force as is the thunderstorm warning. 28 degrees right now, 91% relative humidity. It's 8.31, here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has rejected allegations that the government severed ties with the Professional Teachers Union, or PTU, because of attacks on the union by state media over the weekend. Richard Pine reports. The CE has accused the teachers' group of hijacking the education sector. She said everyone could see what the PTU was doing during and in the aftermath of anti-government protests in 2019, adding that the union had allowed politics to override educators' professionalism. But political academic Ivan Choi, a senior lecturer at the Chinese University's Department of Government and Public Administration, says he fears the government's cutting of ties could be a tactic used on other groups. If the major problem is that PTU has been politicized and not only performed the function of a professional body, you can also put the same kind of blame to other organizations in Hong Kong, such as the trade unions, other professional bodies, such as the law professional bodies. That is the reason why we begin to worry that it is not an isolated event. Eighteen of Brazil's most senior judges have rejected the latest claims from President Bolsonaro that the country's electronic voting system is open to fraud. They said no fraud has been documented since the system was adopted 25 years ago. The BBC's Alex Ritson reports. The statement by the judges is unprecedented and comes after a string of attacks on the electronic voting system by the president and his supporters. He's accused the Supreme Court Justice Luis Roberto Barroso of wanting elections to be manipulated and also suggested he might not accept the result of next year's presidential election if the system isn't changed. But Mr Bolsonaro hasn't provided any evidence for his claims. The judges say the electronic system is far safer than paper ballots and that it is a eliminated a history of election fraud. U.S. jets are reported to have conducted more airstrikes on suspected Taliban positions in the southern Afghan city of Lashkargah, where security forces and the Taliban are involved in ferocious battles. In a separate development, the United States and Britain said the Taliban may have committed war crimes. Here's the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. We've seen the reports of atrocities being committed by the Taliban in various places where they are on the offensive. Uh, and uh, these reports are deeply disturbing and totally unacceptable. In Afghanistan, as I've said before, that does not respect the basic rights of its people, that does not have uh, a representative uh, and uh, inclusive government, uh, that does not abide by 
the, the main gains of the last 20 years is an Afghanistan that will be a pariah state. Washington says it will give more Afghan refugees, including those who've worked for the United States, the opportunity to settle in the country. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat with me, Jim Gould, and Ada Wong, your co-host today. Uh, Ada, good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. Today we're talking about uh, the latest on COVID-19. And later on, spending vouchers, civil servants, uh, hospital authority staff, care home workers and school teachers will have to get at least one shot of COVID-19 vaccine or they will be required to have regular tests at their own expense. Airport staff and quarantine hotel workers will have to be inoculated if they want to keep their jobs. The government also says uh, full-day classes at schools can resume as early as next month if at least 70% of students and teachers have been vaccinated against the coronavirus. Social distancing measures will be extended for another two weeks. Meanwhile, the category system of countries considered to be COVID risks will be simplified and it should be easier for fully vaccinated Hong Kong residents to return from places such as the UK and India. And it's reported that the UK is planning to offer booster shots next month. Do we need a third shot? We'll ask the experts. What do you think? Should we be relaxing COVID-19 rules now that we've gone eight weeks with no local cases? And then from 9.15 this morning, we're discussing the current spending spree with the first instalment of the consumption vouchers, which were issued on Sunday. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And we're joined this morning by uh, Benjamin Cowling, head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, also on the phone, uh, Jean Wu, Emeritus Professor of Medicine at the Faculty of Medicine at the Chinese University. <clears throat> um, perhaps uh, if we could start with uh, uh, Benjamin Cowling. Good morning. So, uh, so 56 days now with no local COVID-19 infections. Um, how are we doing? Where are we at? Are the current uh, restrictions appropriate? And um, what, what about the changes that we've seen uh, yesterday? We're following a zero COVID strategy, which has two parts. The first part is to keep the virus out. And we've been doing well at that in the last few months, actually. And the second part of that is if the virus does find its way in somehow, then we've got to get the, the outbreak under control. You can see that happening right now in Nanjing in China, in Australia, in Singapore and other places. So right now we're in, in the first part of that, keeping the virus out. Hopefully we can keep it out for a while longer, but it will make its way back in sooner or later. And when it does come back, if it's the Delta variant, I think we'll, we would anticipate a lot of the social distancing measures being brought back, a lot more testing and a, and a lot more... Uh, aggressive measures to stop an outbreak. So hopefully that won't take place for a while, but it will happen sooner or later. That sounds like a pretty dire prospect. I mean, none of us want to have to go back to strict social distancing, do we? Um, but, uh, I mean, anything that could stop it? I mean, um, vaccination rate, we're expecting, what, 70%? At least uh, first jab, 70% by the end of next month, I think. Certainly, the higher the vaccination coverage gets, the less opportunity there'll be for the virus to get in and, and start spreading. But as we've seen in, in uh, Nanjing recently with a high vaccine coverage in that city, we've seen in, in the UK and the US and other places 
when measures are relaxed, if the virus is there, it will still be able to spread, but it will cause less serious impact. So for other places, like, for example, the UK, I think they've decided that they're going to uh, live with the virus. It's not going to cause so many severe infections anymore, but they're not going to go for a zero COVID approach. In Hong Kong, though, because we're going for this zero COVID approach, if the virus comes in, we will have to get the numbers of cases back down to zero. Uh, and it's going to be tough with the Delta variant. Um, but I, I think that that's still, in the short term, the best way to, to protect people's health. Right. I'm not convinced that it's the optimal strategy in the long term but in the short term it, it should be the best way to to uh, protect people's health and to to uh, keep at least internally keep hong kong running so um what do we know about the delta variant it seems that uh, the vaccines don't really work um you know against this delta variant and um there's this man who returned from the usa um he caused a stir because he he was tested positive for covid and he was also highly infectious, but he already had two jabs before he left for the U.S. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's fair to say that the vaccines don't work. Actually, the vaccines do work for the Delta variant. The, both vaccines will still provide protection against severe disease. And we've seen that very clearly in other parts of the world that in vaccinated populations, when the virus spreads, there's less hospitalizations, less COVID deaths, but not zero, but less because it does still provide protection. The concern is that the, the the BioNTech vaccine and the sign of a vaccine are less effective in pre- preventing infection. And so for zero COVID approach, we want zero infections, not only zero severe mm. cases, we want zero infections. Well, what and about transmission? It Sorry? doesn't prevent transmission. Of- well, if, if you can't get infected, then you can't transmit onwards. But the problem with the, the Delta variant is that it's getting around, particularly the BioNTech vaccine, is getting around the, the protection against infection. And so people who've had two doses of BioNTech sometimes could still get infected with the Delta variant and could still transmit. With the sign of our vaccine, there was never uh, a lot of evidence that it limited the, the risk of infection substantially. So I would say that's not much change for the Delta variant. But for the BioNTech vaccine, it's a shame that, that the Delta variants are able to get around the protection against infection from that vaccine. OK, uh, let's bring in uh, Jean Wu. Good morning to you. So uh, would you say that uh, we're going in the right direction, um, uh, maintaining uh, social distancing requirements and that sort of thing and, and pushing on with the, uh, the vaccination drive? Uh, well, I mean, I think nobody knows, you see, because we're still learning. Uh, the whole world is learning. So what I would say is that we cannot expect a correct answer a definitive like if you do a then you won't get infection uh, because we just don't know too much about the virus the virus is changing all the time we're in the middle of fighting a battle which we have not come across before um, so i think that every time we make a decision it's based on what's happening to each country and then you can decide uh, risk and benefits of whatever is happening. But I think it, it is very useful for the public to increasingly understand uh, there's no 100% cure. We, we can't stop it. Um, and the vaccines are miraculous development done very quickly. But it's not like polio vaccine, where if you have the vaccine, you won't get polio. Um, in the same way, a lot of virus vaccines are like that flu vaccine. You know, if you have flu vaccine, it doesn't mean you won't get it. Uh, same with uh, shingles vaccine. 
So I think this is something that the public need to accept and understand. And so, so that means when you control the spread, you've got to think, well, um, what are the consequences of you getting the disease? Is it um, a milder form which, where you don't have to go into hospital, you don't have to go into intensive care, uh, your risk of dying is uh, uh, very low, uh, versus no infection at all? I think increasingly all over the world, People are debating that, and many countries have, have really accepted that we cannot have zero cases, um, whatever you do. I think the border, all, all these things are good, um, but, you know, you, you can say, well, China's done it very rigorously, Australia's done it rigorously. Uh, it, it's not that they have lapses. It's just that the nature of the disease, and I think increasingly we have to accept that. Mm. Yeah, yes, from a scientific point of view, yeah. It, it, is, is it the nature of the virus that means we cannot develop uh, a vaccine which will essentially eradicate it? Uh, yeah, uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is the nature of viruses. They change all the time, and, and uh, vaccines uh, development and safety and all that take years. And I think that uh, the whole world scientific community has done a miraculous job in getting as far as we are now. Um, it's just that the, the public have unrealistic expectations of what it can do. But then there are other strategies, right, apart from vaccines, border control. Uh, there's a lot of research now onto antiviral drugs. So if you do get it, you can have a, something that kills it. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. so, so I think... Uh, Scientifically, there are lots of hope, but I think people just need to to factor all these in with, with all the other disruptions that we have and, and come to a conclusion, but but not expect a, a sort of perfect state because, you know, we're humans, really. People think that humans can control viruses, but it's the other way around. Um, right. Uh, Professor Wu, uh, what about uh, the new requirement that um, civil servants, um, hospital authority staff and also teachers um, need to at least get one jab? Um, otherwise, um, you know, they have to be required to have regular tests um, and at their own expense. Is, is this a reasonable requirement? So uh, from the public health point of view, uh, uh, our whole community is trying to uh, increase the vaccine coverage. And that, that is a, a very uh, sound public health strategy. Now, particularly in cases of where people are looking after vulnerable people who are more at risk, like the hospital population, um, and nursing homes and so on. Um, so it's a reasonable strategy. Now, the government uh, the government is trying to push this strategy. I can understand that. And then people will say, well, if you if you think it's such a good strategy, why uh, doesn't your department, the civ i.e. the civil service, do it? And, and so they, they, the government has been uh, fighting with uh, these kind of criticisms. And also within the civil service, there are a lot of departments where people do go about in the community, face the public. So, so I think it's reasonable. Now, uh, many countries are also doing that. Um, uh, so then, then there's a, a sort of uh, point like, well, 
you can't force me to do it. And um, in a way, you see, directly, nobody's forcing you. Uh, the government, I think, is forcing people to focus on why you're not getting vaccinated and, and the risk to the general public. So it's giving you a choice, right? They still have a choice. If, if you don't do it, then public health measures want, want you to, to keep testing every week. Now, in, in England, they do, they've been doing that for a long time. The schools, the teachers, the care home staff, every week they have walk-in, they test. They use a less expensive test, uh, which gives you the result in about 20 minutes. And if it's positive, then you escalate to the more expensive test, which take longer. So I, I think uh, introducing this kind of step step testing concept would um, would be less controversial because there are other places are doing that. Now, as for the question of if you're looking after people, you, you, um, is, you, you really need as part of your job to, to have the vaccination. Um, I can also quote uh, other countries. For a long time now in the UK, if you have... Uh, Hepatitis, if you're hepatitis B positive, i.e. you've got hepatitis B circling in your blood, which can uh, you know, lead to cirrhosis and cancer and so on, you're not allowed to be a medical student, right? So, so there are these examples of how public health measures, preventive measures, are very important uh, in your job. Now, you, you don't have to go into medicine, obviously, you can do something else. So, in a way, I, I would say <coughs> it is a kind of similar situation. Now, if you look at nursing home uh, workers, for example, the people there are very mm. frail. Um, they, they, they're at risk of uh, being infected, but they're not going around to the shopping malls. They may, mainly stay in the home because they can't move. Um, so, it's the workers who are likely to bring in infection. So, it kind of makes sense to to vaccinate those rather than keep going on about vaccinating everybody in nursing homes but not, not have this uh, easier step. So, so one one question is that um, Professor Wu, uh, the schools are allowed to um, to go for full day classes if seventy percent of students are being inoculated. Now um, we have just relaxed uh, the measures that teenagers uh, can be vaccinated. Well, what about primary schools and even kindergartens? Do you think that you know very very young kids uh, should be vaccinated? Um, well, I, I think that not so much is known about that. Um, so what we're saying is if you administer vaccines to very young children, uh, uh, what does it do? And scientifically, you will do randomized controlled trials, which we don't have the data. Then the second issue, what about the side effects? Um, are the side effects, although rare, could be more severe? We don't know that. Um, and um, then the other thing is the natural history of disease. When it infects younger children, uh, what are the consequences? Now, in the older versions of the virus, it, it seemed to be more benign, so you don't worry so much. But with new uh, variants emerging, it, it could be quite worrying in that uh, young people can end up being in intensive care. So there is this worry, but I think the answer is we, we don't know enough to make uh, um, evidence-based decisions about that. 
Um, so we fall back on the social distancing, the mask, and the frequent testing. I, I think in, in the UK, what they've done is to have uh, children have tests every week. Uh, teachers have tests every week. But I think they use, use the lateral flow method, which is give you a result. About 20 minutes is cheaper. And, uh, it's a, uh, you know, the sensitivity and specificity might not be 100%, but it, it, it's, still, it, it's still something. Um, and so when you say you want people to pay for something, uh, I think that consideration might be useful. Okay, okay. Uh, email here from uh, Alonzo with um, some uh, questions for Professor Cowling. It says, uh, uh, given the growing uncertainty about the efficacy of the Sinovac vaccine, does Professor Cowling expect uh, China to begin administering the more efficient mRNA options, BioNTech or Moderna, to its population? And then uh, Israel has begun to give a third shot to people over 60. Will Hong Kong follow suit, given that about 70% of Hong Kong's vaccinated individuals opted for the BioNTech jab? Why hasn't the Hong Kong government ordered more of this vaccine to prepare for the booster shots? Um, Professor Cowling, can you uh, cast any light on that? Yeah, for the first one in, in the mainland, they're using an activated vaccine. Right now, I don't think they have any approved mRNA vaccines available in the mainland, but hopefully that will change in the coming months. And I would expect booster doses to be rolled out in the mainland, uh, maybe by the end of this year, early next year, maybe with more doses of inactivated vaccines or maybe with mRNA vaccines. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. I haven't heard any, any details of what they're planning. Uh, if, if China's going to be the first place in the world to get to herd immunity only with vaccination, it's going to need a lot higher immunity than available just through inactivated vaccines. may require one or two or even more than that booster doses with, uh, with different kinds of vaccines. And I don't, don't think we, we know if, if it's even possible. Uh, so until that happens, I think China's going to keep going with the zero COVID strategy. Uh, for the question in Hong Kong about booster doses, I don't think it's time yet to, to plan booster doses because we're still doing the first and second doses. We have to wait until we've got through those before we, we go back for doses. And right now we're, we're having zero COVID in the community. So, so uh, I think the focus is still on the border and keeping the virus out. But obviously, the higher the vaccine coverage is domestically, the safer will be if the virus does come back, if or when that happens. Uh, I would imagine around the end of this year, early next year, booster doses will start being given because we're going to see that happening in, in other parts of the world, particularly for elderly. Uh, but, but right now, I think the focus should still be on first and second doses. And as for whether more BioNTech should be ordered, I, I agree, yes, more BioNTech should be ordered. But I don't know the timeline or the possibilities because I know there's a very high demand around the world for the BioNTech vaccine. There was a report in the, uh, the Daily Telegraph of the UK that uh, they're going to start um, giving out uh, third shots there from next month and obviously obviously um uh well england in particular is a, a different situation from here but um uh, would that seem like a sensible thing to do yeah i think so i think we, we can recognize that in other parts of the world all the measures that have been in place for the last 12 or 18 months the social distancing face masks travel restrictions quarantines and so on all those measures were put in place to buy time until vaccines are available because once vaccines are available and the coverage is high enough we don't need those other measures anymore so the uk is going in that direction they've said they're not going to do the measure anymore. i don't think they're going to do weekly testing of school children anymore starting in september we'll have to see 
but I don't think that will be necessary anymore because the vaccine coverage is now high enough. And because they've gone past 70 percent, uh, may even be 80 percent by the time later this year, then they can start thinking about booster doses. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense to give booster doses to older adults because we have still seen breakthrough infections in that group sometimes can be a little bit more serious. And booster doses should be able to give that top up of immunity back up to a higher level. And, uh, and, and when the first and second doses have been done, it makes sense to turn back and go, go to the highest risk group and give third doses. Okay. Yeah, but in, in the UK, um, school children, uh, does it mean that school children from primary one or, you know, a bit older? No, in the UK, they've decided not to vaccinate any school children. It's, it's 18 plus can get vaccinated. So it, it, it's a surprise to me because, in my opinion, getting immunity through vaccination is safer than getting immunity through infection. But in the UK, it seems like they've gone the other way and said maybe they, they want to prioritise their vaccine supplies on maybe the third doses for elderly rather than first and second doses for, for children. Um, I, I, I'm a little bit surprised by that decision, but that's, that seems to be the way they're going in the UK. Mm. Uh, Professor Wu, would you agree with that on, the, on booster doses? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, uh, scientifically it, it makes sense. But, um, it, and then, of course, Hong Kong is a rich country and we can buy enough doses. Uh, the, the issue really, if you don't have enough coverage of the population with the two doses, uh, then you're going off to uh, on an initiative for a, for booster dose. Um, it, it just seems to me it should be a, a second step after your, the population has reached your desirable goal of vaccine coverage uh, before you. Um, embark on the, the debate about booster doses. I, 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 I don't think Hong Kong is there yet. Hmm. Is it? I mean... What, what, do you think about, what do you think about our, our vaccination rate and the programme and the, the, the attitude of the population or so, so, you know, certain members of the public uh, have certainly seemed uh, rather reluctant to be vaccinated up until now? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it, as I said uh, recently, it it's a behaviour. We've got to understand why people behave the way they do. And I think uh, a lot of the reason is they don't understand what's the facts behind it. Plus, we've been successful in that uh, there are very few ca cases and it's important. So there's a sense of complacency. Um, so so why, why would you want to have vaccinated? And the recent kind of facts coming in doesn't help. In the oh, you've had vaccination already. All the cases that imported, they've had the full vaccination, and yet they still have COVID-19. So, so we we have to decide on what we're going to tell the public to get them to 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 go for vaccination. Um, and there is still this lingering uh, perception, even among the medical people, that um, oh, older people, if you have older people tend to have lots of underlying disease, right? And, and so, oh, you better have a check up and control your disease better before you have it. And so there are all these bar barriers. And, and, and I've, I've, I've come across people who go to the center to have vaccination and then their blood pressure is a bit high. Not surprising if they wait and, you know, they get nervous. And so they were told to go home and control their blood pressure better. I mean, I mean this sort of thing doesn't really help. Um, the, the uptake, and it is the older people who, who tend to have these problems. 
Um, and I, I think this is something that we can do. Um, I think it's, it's very good that the government recently facilitated the people who uh, cannot book online because uh, there are people like that. The older you get, the more uh, you, you're not able to use these online bookings. And, uh, but then you look, you look at the pictures of, of these uh, older people with sticks and what are they doing? They're queuing up. I mean, you know, some seats might be helpful to facilitate. And if you're not as robust as these people who are queuing up, then, of course, uh, having a quota system doesn't really help because you've got to get there early uh, and get, get your place in line uh, to get it. Um, so, so I think that uh, we could do more with, you know, if you're going to your clinic, whether it's public or private, that you could, um, the doctor there can can do the vaccination uh, quickly, like like what they did with flu. You go to a specialist clinic and they said, uh, would you like the flu vaccine or they want the flu? Then they, they get put in a different room and then the procedure is done. Similarly with nursing homes, we have visiting teams of nurses uh, from the HA. I think they're doing a bit of that already. And DH, Department of Health also, can do a whole lot more because they, they did visiting outreach to to schools for flu vaccines. Okay. Well, when when I look at the queue, you know, outside the community vaccination centres, I I think that uh, old, older people need to queue instead of uh, doing this uh, online booking. We'll have to continue this uh, after the break, uh, Ada, because we're coming up to uh, nine o'clock. We've got uh, a three-minute news summary uh, coming up. Um, uh, do get in touch. Uh, leave a message on our Facebook page, uh, Backchat on RTHK Radio Three. Or email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call, 233-88266. A quick look at the weather. Um, cloudy with occasional showers, uh, also thunderstorms. Uh, the outlook, uh, windier with occasional showers on Wednesday and Thursday. Currently 28 degrees, humidity 91%. Mostly been taking rural areas up until now. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Backchat uh, with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And uh, this morning, uh, we're talking about the latest on COVID-19. And then around about uh, 9.15, we'll be talking about the current spending spree fuelled by those consumption vouchers that were issued on Sunday. Um, we're joined uh, on the line. We have uh, Professor Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. And also uh, we have uh, Yip Yuk Ying, who's uh, vice chairperson of the Hong Kong Federation of Civil Service Unions. Um, before we uh, go back to our guests, uh, a couple of emails here. Um, David writes, in Hong Kong, we've been very lucky because people wear masks to keep the virus in or keep the virus out. But the government has gone very quiet on how the virus is transmitted. Uh, is it uh, uh, transmitted on your fingers? Does it stay on your clothes? Uh, we need more information. Secondly, some countries are running different protocols in uh, in the hospitals, they are given uh, Invermectin and they're giving uh, vitamin C and vitamin D and whatever chemical is in uh, goji berries or raspberries. Uh, the point is we want a kit that we can put uh, in the medicine cabinet so as we can get the symptoms, if we get the symptoms, we can take medicine. Uh, after all these months, we're still being kept in the dark. And as for the 24-hour hotline, 
in Hong Kong, is it possible to talk to a doctor? Uh, you have to either go to the hospital or book up to see a doctor. But unless you are seriously ill, the doctor will not tell the government. That was from David. Uh, this one from Paul says... Uh, back chat. So after all this time, the outcome is that we all need to get vaccinated with an unapproved experimental jab, else we either have to pay up or get fired. Meanwhile, we still have to wear stupid, useless masks and there is no hope for an end in sight. Can't we just remove these useless talking head scientists and live with the flu like we used to? That's from Paul. Well, I think... Uh, a lot of um, scientists and medical people will, would say that we still need to be extremely cautious because we don't fully understand uh, the current situation. But anyhow, um, as mentioned, we're joined by uh, Yip Yuk Ying, who's a, a vice chair of the Hong Kong Federation of Civil Service Unions, um, because we wanted to talk a little bit about the requirements on civil servants uh, all civil servants, um, except those with uh, medical exemptions, who will have to either get uh, a vaccination or pay themselves uh, for a, um, a test every two weeks. Um, so what do you think about this requirement? Is it fair? Um, we understand that it is beneficial for um, ourselves and uh, uh, for the community. The, the uh, vaccine is... Uh, important for the community in for the community uh, in in end of may this year government only requests um all frontline employees to take regular tests bi-weekly but now such requirement covers all government employees including contract staff starting from this month many members share it is too sudden I, I, I'm sorry, just repeat too, the last part? Yeah, if it's too sudden, I mean, is oh, the yeah. government giving you, um, you know, a, a deadline, like um, in one or two months, or does it have to be done very quickly? Uh, it's sudden for, uh, for our employees, as some of them are not prepared to do in the near future. As some colleagues, they may have long-term disease, uh, they may have... Um, family medical history and they wanted to have further medical advice so that before they take the vaccine. So around about 70% of civil servants uh, uh, have been vaccinated so far. Um, do you think that's acceptable or, or, or sh you know, leaving aside people who, because of medical conditions, uh, are not able to take the vaccine? I mean, do you, would you have hoped to see a higher rate of uh, vaccination among civil servants uh, supporting the government, supporting the vaccination drive? Yes, indeed. Now, over 70% of um, government employees taking the first, at least first dose of vaccine. Um, we, and some, I, as I know, some of the colleagues are planning to do so. Um, and, and I think the government employees, this group, of, this group is higher than other uh, groups to take the vaccine. So what, do you know anything about, um, you know, their fear uh, of, uh, you know, not wanting to get the vaccine? Um, do, do you know the reasons behind, you know, those, um, well, 25 or, you know, nearly 30 percent of civil service who, who are still hesitant? Yes, um, Ms. Many yep. colleagues, some of, uh, many colleagues know that taking vaccine is beneficial to 
both to themselves and the community, but they do concern the least, as some of them share they have long-term disease, as I said before, medical, family medical history, and some of them are the breadwinner of the family. Um, so I hope the government could kindly consider that this small group of colleagues, they have difficulties to take vaccination in near future as they wanted to seek medical specialist advice before to do so. So if they get a doctor's uh, certificate, they still have to, um, you know, be tested every seven days now, you know, in the new requirements, and also they have to pay for it. How do you think of that? I think it's a burden, especially for those colleagues who are the lower and middle salary band, because they do need to pay for own test biweekly. It costs nearly 500000 per month. It is not a small amount for the grassroots. 500000 no, um, it's like... Uh, 500, sorry. Okay, I understand it's t- around 200 um, per test um, in some of the community centres, or is it, uh, are there tests that are cheaper? Um, to, um, I mean, um, they need to do the test bi-weekly, so that um, monthly they need to pay uh, nearly 500. Okay. Um, Professor Cowling, um, we, we've talked a lot about herd immunity and how we're going to achieve it. Um, uh, how are we doing um, going in that direction? I, um, I, I think I mentioned earlier that uh, we were looking at um, hopefully 70% of the population vaccinated by uh, the end of next month. Yeah, no, we have to be careful to distinguish two different things. One is when a population has high enough immunity that the virus can no longer spread. Mm. And a separate issue is what's the level of vaccine coverage that that it would be safe enough to reopen, even if the virus still spreads, it wouldn't cause uh, too much impact, maybe some impact comparable to a seasonal flu. But actually, when, when we look at the, the press comments yesterday, I don't think herd immunity was even, even mentioned. Um, what, what's being discussed and proposed is the zero COVID approach for some further time, unclear how long. And so actually herd immunity is not so important for that discussion. We can't achieve herd immunity with the vaccines we have, even with a very high coverage. And if you look at what's happening right now in, in other parts of the world, that's very clear in the United Kingdom, despite having a very high vaccine coverage, that the infections are still going up. But they've decided that they will eventually achieve herd immunity within the next two or three months after having this high vaccine coverage with immunity through vaccinations. And on top of that, some additional infections that are generally mild and the immunity that comes along with those natural infections as well. So herd immunity through vaccination plus infection. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's possible right now to get to herd immunity just through vaccinations. But, mm, okay. but it, would be, it would be reasonable, in my opinion, to set a policy where we follow the UK's and, and, and aim to live with the virus, follow European countries in the United States, aim to live but, with the um, virus. Right. Well, what, what does, uh, coverage. Professor Carlin, what does herd immunity look like if um, we have a sort of looser border controls? So say if a population has herd immunity and then you open your borders and then a lot of people come in and, and you know, they, they might carry the virus and it means that, um, you know, the population won't get infected? Is that how right, it goes? Hypothetically speaking, right, if, if a population has herd immunity, then even if the virus comes in, it won't be able to spread. There may be pockets of, 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 of groups of people that could still get infected. You could have very small outbreaks, like with measles. So a good example is measles. In Hong Kong, we have herd immunity to measles. But if you remember a few years ago, there was an outbreak at the airport where the virus came in. It was able to spread a little bit, but it stopped. It didn't keep going through the whole city. So that's what herd immunity would look like. But we can't get to herd immunity with the vaccines we're using, uh, even with a very high coverage, 
But the government's not going in that direction anyway. The government is not no longer thinking about getting to herd immunity to vaccination and then reopening. Uh, regardless of whether we can get a high vaccine coverage or not, we're going to continue with the zero COVID approach here in Hong Kong. And so the higher coverage will help because it will make it more difficult for the virus to spread and the impact will be lower if or when it does spread. Um, but but uh, the, the objective is zero cases. I think it's two weeks now since the UK uh, opened up their Freedom Day. Um, <laughs> uh, any lessons to be learned from that or is it too early? No, completely. And, and I think we can also look at the US where they had a Freedom Day effectively on the 4th of July although they didn't announce it as such, but that's essentially what happened. And if you look at the U.S., actually some parts of the U.S. now are in real trouble because their vaccine coverage is only about 50 to 55%. Um, in the U.K., two weeks ago, they reopened with a vaccine coverage of about 70%. And so far, the case numbers haven't shot up. They have been going up. The numbers of infections have been going up. And the forecasts are that for the next month, the numbers of infections will still go up. There could be a lot of people hospitalized in the next one or two months. But... By September, October, they will have reached herd immunity and they're no longer at threat from, from the virus, at least from the current variants. And they can relax. They don't need any of the measures in place. They can go back to normal. Um, I, I mean, does that look likely? Is that, does that look like that, that's yeah, the way things are going there? I mean, the big concern is if there's another variant in the future that, that comes up that can get around the immunity that's built up. And of course, even when you get to herd immunity like the UK is going to within the next one or two months, that will, will slowly decline again over time. So that's why they're bringing in the booster doses as a top-up. And it may well be that COVID's back this winter over the Christmas period, uh, with like flu is as well. And then from year to year, maybe booster doses are offered. Maybe there's small winter epidemics. But I don't think we'll see COVID uh, really causing an enormous impact anymore. And remember, that all the measures that were in place in the last 18 months were there to save the, the hospitals, save the healthcare system from from being crushed under the pressure of too many serious cases all at the same time. So that, that scenario should no longer be possible in the UK, uh, but it may be possible in the US because the vaccine coverage isn't quite high enough. Also wanted to ask you about um, what's happening in India. In, in, India has a, still a relatively low um, vaccination rate and, and a massive population. Um, I mean, uh, are you concerned that we may see the uh, emergence of more variants um, in, in India in the next few months? So the, actually, in, in India, the case numbers have been coming down as far as I know. Uh, I, I'd be worried that they may have reached herd immunity mainly through natural infections rather than vaccination because they haven't had so much vaccine available. So through a combination of infections on, and vaccinations, they, they've got to herd immunity, at least temporarily. The Delta variant came out of India when there was a, a very high prevalence of infection, a lot of people infected at the same time. That's a lot of opportunities for the virus to change and to find a, maybe a, a slightly modified version, a, a variant that, that can get around immunity that's built up in the population. Right now, because the cases have come down, there's not so much risk at the moment. But obviously, in any big population, if there's a lot of infections, that's when the virus has the most opportunities to find a new path. OK, uh, we have a caller on the line. Uh, caller James, uh, good morning. Uh, good morning, everybody. Yeah. Um, I've been following what's happening in the UK. Uh, basically, our rugby club had three guys who went there for Christmas. Hello? Uh, yeah. yeah, can you hear me? Yes, 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 please carry on. Yeah, yeah we, we had some uh, guys from our rugby club went there at Christmas and they've been stuck there since uh, in the UK. And we're trying to get them back uh, through other countries at the moment. 
on those lateral flow tests, um, the UK has been using 60% lateral flow and 40% uh, PCR testing in their official figures. And they did a test which was uh, revealed in the BMJ at the University of Liverpool, which found that the lateral flow test they're using from an American company, but they're actually made in Jarmen and shipped into the UK, are only 48% accurate. And, and, and basically now the FDA has already called an urgent recall on those products, but the UK is still using them. Secondly, regarding what uh, Professor Towling said about uh, not vaccinating uh, adolescents because they reckon they'll just shrug it off, but they ignore the fact that they're carriers. And what's happened is I have two, two kids at university in uh, Brisbane, and there's a school in Brisbane, not a university, but a school where one 17-year-old uh, caught the Delta variant. He then gave it to several other at the school who then spread it to their parents and friends. And they have to, uh, now in a lockdown because of that uh, event, which they've traced back to the school. So this idea of not vaccinating adolescents is completely bloody stupid, in my opinion. And uh, also in, in the... Um, uh, the UK, they reckon that the way to calculate how many cases are actually in the community is by the hospital admissions. In uh, May, there were, for COVID, there were 140. In June, there were 230 per day. And in July, it's, been, it's gone up every day. It's been over 900 hospital admissions which tends okay. to show what's actually yes. out there. Yeah, yeah Professor Kelly? Yeah. Yes, please. Firstly, for the, the lateral flow assay, I think that's a scandal. Um, but remember, in the UK, they're not doing a zero-COVID approach, and they're not isolating cases in hospital. So if the lateral flow assay was at least able to pick up the most contagious people and then advise them to self-isolate, it would do something. But remember, they're not isolating all their cases in hospital like we are in Hong Kong. It's a different strategy. Um, and I'm not sure they're going to use so much lateral flow assays in the future. The second thing for vaccinating children, I said earlier already, and I'll say it again, I think it's safer for children to get immunity through vaccination than it is for them to get immunity through natural infection. But for whatever reason, the United Kingdom has decided not to do vaccinations in children in Hong Kong. We do. We offer BioNTech for 12 to 16-year-olds uh, and then obviously 17-plus as well. So I, I, I don't completely understand the decision in the UK. Uh, and I think that it would be more appropriate to offer vaccination to children, at least 12 plus, where we have evidence that it's safe and effective. For younger children, we still have to wait for the trials to be done. And for the last point, um, oh, I'm just trying to, to remember, sorry. For the last point... Um, James, James can you remind us? Yes. What, was the, what, what was the last point you made? Hospital admissions. Mm. Oh, so, so, right, right. So, so actually, the UK is really smart. They've got a really smart system for for measuring infections in the community. They do a random sample. Like, you know the telephone polls that you sometimes get from my phone job that they want to do a survey? In the UK, they do that, but they also send them a, a test kit, and they do thousands every week. They just test at random to work out what's the prevalence, how many people sampled at random are infected with COVID at any time, and that's been going up steadily over the past two months. You're right, the hospital admissions have been going up as well, uh, and I, I think they predict it may go as high as 2,000 per day before it starts coming down again. But they've judged it very finely in the UK to say that July the 16th or whenever it was, was the Freedom Day. That's the point at which, with, with their head start on immunity from vaccination, they're still going to get to herd immunity 
before there's too many people that get very sick into hospital. And of course, you, you could say, well, they could have waited another two weeks or four weeks uh, before opening up and relaxing to, to get a little bit higher vaccine coverage, go from 70% to 71% or 72%. But I think the judgment that they made, uh, I was not involved, I think the judgment that they made was that they've got enough and it's safe enough and the economic benefits of relaxing all the measures uh, outweigh the, the possible health impact of this exit wave which would occur sooner or later anyway. And remember that the longer you wait before having an exit wave, the more concern it is for the older adults who have waning immunity and, and would, would actually benefit from a booster dose. So they didn't want to push that exit wave to the winter. They, they, they aim to have it actually in the summer. OK. OK. Well, thanks very much for your uh, contributions. Uh, we've got to move on to our, our final uh, topic this morning. But uh, thank you very much. Uh, thanks to caller James. And, and thank you very much uh, to Professor Benjamin Cowling, who you heard just there, head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at Hong Kong U. Uh, thanks also to uh, Yip Yuk Ying, who's a vice chairperson of the Hong Kong Federation of Civil Service Unions. And before the break, Jean Wu, Emeritus Professor of Medicine at the Faculty of Medicine at the uh, Chinese University. Um, and just before we talk about uh, those uh, spending vouchers that were issued uh, on Sunday, the first instalment thereof, um, um, just very quick emails here. Uh, so still on the subject of COVID, uh, Dave writes, 70% of government officials having a vaccine, that's great. Let's have a survey to find out how many had side effects and then let's have the doctor tell us what is the medicine we can take to make our side effects more bearable. Um, we'll return to that uh, issue, uh, no doubt. Um, uh, John says, if the government requires a certain part of the population to be vaccinated, why are they not uh, making it mandatory? Right now, you have to sign a document giving away all your rights to get inoculated with an experimental serum that has not been approved, but only authorised under emergency. This means that no one but yourself has to take all the responsibilities. If you need all the population to take it, make it mandatory and take all responsibility. That from John. Um, uh, David says that Manila has gone into another lockdown. When are we going to see planes from the Philippines to Hong Kong? And uh, Alan says uh, at 11.06, uh, I'm not sure. Um, uh, well, you read out a string of emails recounting uh, conspiracy theories about COVID, including one advocating people self-medicating using Invermectin. Uh, this is a veterinarian antifungal drug that has become the latest miracle cure among those who trust anything they see on Facebook. The US FDA has an article, Why, should you, why you Should Not Use Invermectin to Treat or Prevent COVID-19, and uh, provides a link. It says, uh, if you're going to mention it at all, read this, not uh, random, unsourced advocacy. That's from uh, Alan. Thank you very much. Um, we have uh, on the line... Uh, now with us, uh, Dr. Thomas Yoon, who's a, an assistant professor in the Department of Economics and Finance at Hong Kong Shuyan University, who's uh, here to talk about uh, the consumption vouchers, uh, the first uh, $2,000 of which were issued uh, on Sunday. Um, a, a lot of businesses, um, shops, and restaurants reporting business up by as much as 100% on Sunday when the vouchers were first issued. So, uh, so Dr Yoon, uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, how much of a difference do you think this is going to make to the economy? Uh, the government estimates that uh, 
stimulate that uh, the stimulus effect to the GDP or to the economy is around seven point seven percent. Zero point seven percent. Personally, I think that because uh, the mood, the consumption mood, uh, uh, this Sunday we all know that uh, uh, the effect may be a little bit higher. Uh, and because according to the experience uh, from other countries, for example in Taiwan, uh, the electronic consumption uh, voucher uh, does not actually uh, perform the stimulating effect as expected. Uh, but in Hong Kong, the situation is somehow a little bit different because of uh, the stabilize in the COVID situation, at least uh, in these few weeks, uh, people are actually quite uh, positive uh, about going out to consume. And the second one is that uh, because uh, the general public have uh, a majority or a peer a consumption mood, uh, every uh, one try to talk about uh, what are you going to do uh, extra consumption, what are you going to do with the uh, $5,000? effect or a, a much higher multiplier effect. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, and another situation is that because there is no leakage or, or very little leakage. Uh, the leakage, that means uh, the, in the past, if uh, there is no coven uh, in the case of Taiwan, the money are actually going out uh, to, to do tourism uh, because they can subsidize. Uh, they rearrange their money, they save up their extra consumption uh, and then uh, use the money to consumption outside uh, Taiwan. But in Hong Kong in today, we don't have this situation. No one can go out. Okay, e Even though you try to substitute your consumption, uh, you are not going to consume uh, uh, your, your extra consumption with the uh, uh, consumption voucher. Uh, you still need to do your extra consumption in Hong Kong. So there is no leakage. So personally, I think this is quite positive about the stimulating effect uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, okay. Yes. Um Dr. Yun, uh, I yes. see that most Hong Kong people um, are using the spending vouchers uh, on their octopus. So I'm wondering, you know, whether some, um, some, you know, some sectors, uh, some business sectors will benefit while others will not benefit at all. So, for example, the supermarkets, I think, uh, will benefit quite a lot. Um, while, let's say, um, uh, you know, fashion or... But because they, they don't really have octopus in, in those shops um, and, and they won't really reap the benefit from the uh, spending. Okay, uh, this is <laughs> the stimulating event the government would like to push uh, this e-commerce okay, or the electronic transaction or electronic payment situation. Uh, because in Hong Kong, our uh, e-commerce or, or electronic transaction or e-payment uh, is uh, a little bit move uh, aside uh, uh, to to the credit card or something like this uh, instead of using uh, Autopus or uh, WeChat or something like this. Uh, so the government tried to push a little bit uh, over uh, to the e -trans electronic transaction. Uh, and so far as I know, uh, as you say, that uh, some of the pieces may not benefit, but uh, the Autopus company has already provided a free uh, I, so far as I know, uh, a, a free installment for the Autopus card. As the business know that a lot of uh, people are using the Autopus card, uh, they will try to install the Autopus card. Uh, so that this may be, uh, have a stimulating effect on the electronic transaction and make it more popular for everyone uh, to use. Uh, uh, so this may be the cases. Uh. Okay. Uh, yes, is it uh, going to have a big effect on the development of e-commerce, do you think? 
Yeah, of course, this will be have a better because we are using an e-consumption voucher. So there are a lot of ways to use the e-consumption voucher. If you are not get familiar with using the e-transaction payment, some of the aging people are not quite familiar or favor to use the e-commerce or the e-transaction. In these cases, they are. Forced to use because uh, the consumption voucher is in an electronic payment. Another point is that uh, you can also use the uh, consumption voucher, the e-consumption voucher, electronic consumption voucher, to uh, buy your food, uh, buy your goods, uh, or buy your product, or use your extra consumption over the internet. And this can uh, push our e-commerce uh, uh, so that uh, all the business, because they know that. Uh, uh, if you want to do the business, if you want to do the business with the e-consumption uh, voucher, you need to move to that side. You need to install the business. You need to explore your business uh, electronically. So this can push our e-commerce. Uh, so this is a trigger, uh, what I consider a trigger, uh, for the consumption behavior to change to the e-commerce side, and also a trigger for the business to install and exploit their business from the e-commerce. So this can uh, uh, actually Okay, uh, an email here from a, a not-so-happy customer says, uh, 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 this from GT, writes, uh, the system is a complete mess. I wonder how elderly actually get the voucher. I and my family applied, and one of us was cancelled by the system when trying to resolve the problem. They claimed it is cancelled, and you cannot resubmit since it shows as a dual application for the same ID. They are in a complete mess and absolutely useless at solving the problems. In my opinion, Laurel and Hardy would have had a better process. Um, um, I'm a little surprised to hear that from GT because uh, it seems that the, the, the general impression is that the process has been uh, pretty smooth. Yeah? Um, yeah, yeah, doc, doctor, yeah. yeah doc, Dr. Yoon? Yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, we all know that some people are not familiar with all those. <laughs> and this is the reason why the government uh, needs to trigger up. Uh, because after you have already done everything, uh, after you have already tried this, tried this e-commerce the first time, you will find the benefits. Uh, uh, you can sit uh, uh, at home, uh, do all the e-commerce. Uh, you do not need to uh, bring a lot of cash. You can just use your auto purse. Uh, so, uh, because some people have never used uh, in Hong Kong, uh, uh, we, we say that our e-commerce or e-transaction are a little bit left behind mainland China, we all know that. Uh, so we must catch up. Uh, so for us to catch up, the business need to exploit. And more important, the consumer need to have a trigger. Uh, we, we give you $5,000 in e-form. So use it. Uh, this is a benefit for you. So if you can uh, try your... Uh, your, your, your e-commerce or your e-consumption the first time, then uh, you will find the benefits. And then uh, if uh, this is the case, uh, the whole economy will move towards uh, towards uh, our uh, e-commerce side. And this is a good thing for our future development because okay. in the future, everything moves into digital. We all know that. Okay. Not just in Hong Kong, but globally. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks very much for speaking to us on the programme this morning. Uh, Dr Thomas Yoon there, who's an Assistant Professor at the Department of Economics and Finance at uh, Hong Kong Shuyan University. Um, I have some other emails relating to uh, topics we were doing yesterday. Uh, and... Um, well, uh, out of time. I'll give them to uh, Danny Gittings and see if he can uh, find time to read them out tomorrow. But, uh, but thanks, as always, to everybody for writing in. Um, thanks for listening this morning. Uh, thank you very much, Ada. 
And Thank you, Jim. Before we go to Morning Brew, uh, a quick look at the weather today. So it's going to be mainly cloudy with occasional showers, uh, thunderstorms and squalls. Uh, top temperature around 31 degrees. The outlook, it will be windier with occasional showers on Wednesday and Thursday, remaining showery in the following couple of days. Uh, currently it's 28 degrees, humidity 89%, and the standby signal number one is in effect. Drainage repairs can be costly. The Building Drainage System Repair Subsidy Scheme run by the government and the Urban Renewal Authority offers financial assistance of up to 80% of total drainage repair costs to owners of eligible buildings aged 40 or above. The scheme is now accepting second stage applications from eligible building owners with or without statutory orders related to common drains. Call 3188-1188 now for details. And now the new summary with Vicky Wong. The government has put in place stricter border controls due to the threat posed by the more infectious COVID-19 Delta variant. The requirements streamline places into free groups and mean that unvaccinated and mean that vaccinated residents from high-risk countries can return. The government is also requiring more workers to be vaccinated. Officials in the United States say cases of COVID-19 are still on the increase, along with hospitalizations and deaths. But the White House said the surge in infections blamed on the Delta variant had prompted an increase in the number of people seeking vaccinations. And German prosecutors have charged a woman with spying for China. Referred to as Clara Kay, the Italian national is the wife of a German academic Klaus L, who was charged with the offence earlier this year. Prosecutors allege they began spying in 2010, passing information to Chinese intelligence agents concerning state visits or multinational conferences. I'll be back with more news in at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviding me to your show. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you. Good to be with you for a 